Okay, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. This is where we're going today. And I know recently you guys went through the whole book of Philippians, but uh, it's on my heart to preach this message, and I'm quite excited to make much of Christ in it. So we're going to go back here. Philippians 3, verse 12. Now to start, I want to give you guys a reminder, a little bit of context, a reminder. Paul writes the letter to the Philippians in such a way that he wants to encourage them. He really wants them to rejoice in the Lord, he says. To say the same thing again is no problem for me, and it's safe for you, is what Paul's going to say right in that letter. Rejoice in the Lord. Know how good Jesus Christ is. Know how good it is to walk the way of God. And he, the way he does this throughout the letter, if you're paying attention, is by giving examples to follow. You might remember Jesus Christ is the first big example in the letter he gives, right? Remember, he did not count, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead humbled himself. And Paul says, have this same mind among yourselves. He gives Christ as the first example. And then if you're working your way through the letter, chapter 2, verse 19, Timothy is an example. And then a little further, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, Epaphroditus is another example. And he's doing this all the way through. And then chapter 3, he gives his own life as an example to follow. And he's trying to help us, to encourage us to understand that we need to follow people who are pursuing Jesus Christ like he's the best thing that there is, because he is the best thing that there is. And if you're not sure that's what he's trying to do, just look with me, chapter 3, verse 17, for a minute, right after our text here. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's pretty clear, and it's important for us to remember that. Paul's saying, I'm going to show you how I'm living, and I'm going to tell you, follow my example. So that's important for us as we start to apply this and work our way through the passage this morning. But Paul does this often, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, 2. He'll say the same thing. He'll say, uh, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. This is the way to walk. And you should sort of feel that sense of pull to follow the good godly example of the Apostle Paul. And so I've titled this morning's message, The Pursuit of Christ, Paul's Example of a Disciplined Christian Walk. Pursuing Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about for Paul. More and more and more of Christ. And I hope we would have that same hunger this morning. Man, I want more of Christ. I want my eyes open to see more of who he is. That's what we're chasing after. Now, just to give you a little bit of taste of Paul's heart on that, we're going to skip back. We're going to sort of give ourselves some context for the verses we're going to look at. We're going to look at verse 7 first. And I just want you to read these words with me. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Can you hear his hunger for Christ more than anything else? Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, like garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him. This is what Paul wants. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If that's not an example to follow, I don't know what is, right? This is Paul's heart. He's pursuing and chasing after Christ and, and constantly sort of pursuing him. And, and the call is that we would follow that example. We'd have that same kind of heart. That's what we're to be drawn into. Now, often what happens if you're reading through Philippians chapter 3, that text I just read gets all the fanfare. It gets the spotlight all the time. Not, not in a bad way, but I mean, it just is sort of that convicting, challenging passage. And what we tend to do when we get to our text today, which is just after that, where Paul's sort of going to say, and I'm not quite there yet, I'm not quite perfect yet, but I'm pressing on. We're like, oh, that's nice. Paul had a little bit of humble pie there. Thank you, Paul. No, I can feel not too bad that I'm not perfect. And then we move on, and we don't think much of the text we're looking at. 
And my hope is that, that we're going to dive in it today and see there's a lot more of a challenge for a Christian daily walk in this text than maybe we've seen before. So let's look at our text this morning, Philippians 3, verse 12. And as we do, I want you to listen for three points. I'm going to give you my three points ahead of time, and I'm hoping that they're so obvious that you'll see them. So the first one is, Paul has a goal. The second one is, he's striving towards that goal. And the third one is, he has the right attitude. He has a goal, he's striving towards that goal, and he has the right attitude as he's striving towards that goal. That's where we're going. So now we're going to read the text, and I want you to listen for that. I just... As we were singing today, I had this sort of feeling that I needed to ask you guys to do something as we read the text we're going to look at. So I'm going to ask you to stand, again, to help our minds be centered on the fact that we humble ourselves before the Word of God. Let's read the Word of God together. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. You may sit. Okay, three points. The first one is Paul has a goal, and you should see it jump off the text as we read it there. Paul has a very specific direction that he's heading in, right? Paul has a goal in mind, and the best way to see that, as we read through this text again, listen, there's these little words that sort of give us big clues that he's got something in mind that he's heading towards. I'm going to read it again. Not that I have already obtained this. You should stop. I did. I don't know if you like to circle in your Bibles, but I like to circle that word there. What is this? What is that word this referring to? And then you go a little further. He says, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it. You see it right there in the text. What is that it he's talking about? What is this thing he's talking about? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. But what is, the first question we need to ask is, what is it? What is this thing? It's very clear he's got this sort of focus, this laser focus on something he's heading towards. He's got this goal. What is this goal? Well, if you clue in a little bit further down there, he describes it for us. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, it couldn't be said more clearly, he wants more of Jesus Christ. He wants to know finally that he'll be with Christ in glory, but until then, I want more of Christ now. And if you're paying attention to the text we read earlier, right, he wants to know Christ. He wants to gain Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. He wants righteousness through faith in Christ. He wants to be like Christ in his death. He wants to be like Christ in his resurrection. He wants more of Jesus Christ. This is his goal. Eyes focused on more and more and more of the king. Our hearts should be hungering, like Paul's example, for more and more and more of the king. This is what we should be striving after. Everything is focused on this. Paul is. It's very clear. He has this goal in mind. And so I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to give it to you as homework, so I don't let you off the hook too easy. Because sometimes you guys know, you know Sunday morning worship service, and it's a good service, but by the time you get home and eat lunch, you can't remember what we talked about. I know, we're all guilty of it. But today, to help you with that problem that we've all got, I'm going to ask you to write down this question. And then what you get to do is, after lunch, you get to ask somebody else and put them in the hot seat and ask them this question, make them real uncomfortable. 
Fair is fair, though. Then they get to ask you the same question, and it should lead to some good discussion. So the question is this. You got your pens out? You got to write it down or type it on your phone if you don't have a pen. Then you can stop looking at your phone again. But this is the question. What is your spiritual goal? It's a big question to have a discussion about. It should lead for a long discussion. What is your spiritual goal? You get to ask it, but you also need to answer it, right? Where are you headed? What direction are you headed in? And if you think, man, I don't, I'm not into this goal thing. I'm not into striving after stuff. If you think you're so far along in your spiritual maturity that you don't need a spiritual goal anymore, let me just humble you a little bit. The Apostle Paul is saying he needs a spiritual goal. He has a spiritual goal. And I don't think any of us in the room are more mature than Paul is. And we're called to follow his example. So what is our spiritual goal? Do we have it? And hopefully it's like Paul. It's more of Jesus Christ. That's where we all should eventually center around. More of godliness, more of walking with God, more of delighting in Jesus Christ. This should be our goal. I want to be with him in glory one day. That should be where we're all headed. Now you may think, well, you know, Paul says, I'm almost perfect. I'm almost there. I'm not there. I don't feel like I can even measure up. I can't, can't stand close to that. That's not the point. It's not how far along you are. It's do you have that goal in view? You have that goal in view, and then what are you doing as you press towards it, right? Think about it. As simple as, are you reading the word every day? If that's your goal, what are you doing? Are you reading the word every day to press towards that goal? It should be such a blessing in your life if you're doing that. It makes me think of, as I was preparing this, Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 says, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates day and night. The person who simply does that, the Bible says, is like a tree planted by beautiful streams of water. His leaves are flourishing. In all that he does, he prospers. Just from reading the word every day. Because that's this man's focus in Psalm 1, delighting in the Lord. And as he does, there's this blessing that comes. And it's not prosperity gospel blessing. It's you get to walk with God. That's the blessing. Or maybe it's not reading the word that you sort of feel next as the Lord's challenging you to pursue him more. Maybe it's serving other people more. Serving somebody else selflessly, your spouse possibly, your kids, somebody at work. Maybe it's singing. Maybe as you want to pursue Jesus Christ more, the Lord's challenging you. Hey, why don't you just praise me more? Man, today was just such a blessing to sing with you guys. It's so good. I didn't want to stop. Delighting in Jesus through singing, or maybe in your home singing, in family worship. As a family, you decide, we're going to declare this home is the Lord's home, and we're going to sing his praises as a family together. Maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's discipleship. All sorts of different things you can do, but all of them, hopefully you see, are centered around the same goal. I want more of Christ. I want to be closer to Christ. So what is your spiritual goal. If you're looking for a sort of scripture verse to hang your hat on that sort of fits in line with that, 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says and encourages Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You want to walk godly? You want to walk more like Christ? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, it should be asked here at this point, should stop and ask, are you convinced you know, maybe we're talking about having this goal of Jesus Christ and he's the best thing for you, but are you convinced of that? Are you convinced that Christ is the goal worth giving everything up for? Is your heart settled that Jesus Christ is what I want? And maybe I veer from that because I'm fleshly still, I get it, but, or, or are you not convinced at all and it sounds like crazy talk that I'm up here telling you that he is worth and more valuable than anything else? 
Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you're sort of sitting on the fence doing the Jesus thing in terms of being here, but never really committed in your heart that your desire is for him more than anything else, that your desire is to be with him. Don't sit on the fence. Understand that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and every one of us is going to answer to him. And at some point, if you're sitting on the fence and he's not the goal, you are going to be judged on your own merit before a holy God, and you're going to be found wanting, every one of us. But if you would see Jesus Christ as the king and submit yourself and repent of your sinfulness and understand that he is more delightful than anything else and and walking with God is more delightful than anything else, then walking with him happens by humbling yourself, repenting and acknowledging Jesus Christ is Lord. He came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and paid the ransom for the debt that we all owed. And if you would believe in that, then your heart will begin to understand, yes, Yes, and some of you are sitting here saying, yes, he is more delightful. He is better than anything else. There's a call for all of us to understand first, is Christ that goal? If he is, then we move to sort of the next thought in Paul's train of thought here in this verse, and that is that now that I know Christ is my goal, I am doing everything I can to strive for that goal, everything I can to pursue him. Striving for that goal is point number two, and if you look at the language through this text, verse 12 says, I press on to make it my own. Verse 12 says that. Verse 13 says, I'm straining forward. You hear the language of actively working at it, and then verse 14, I press on towards the goal. He's working hard at getting closer to Jesus Christ. Now, some of us with our theology hats on will think, well, wait a minute. My salvation and my sanctification have nothing to do with me and all to do with God. Why do I need to work hard? And we almost give ourselves an excuse to sit on the couch and be lazy. No, no, no. I want you to hear that as Paul writes this to encourage us to pursue Jesus Christ, it is oozing with the expectation that it will result in hard work. And none of it provides you with your salvation, but this is the natural result of a heart that wants Christ. If your heart wants it, you're going to chase after it. That's the expectation here. We don't get off the hook because God does it all. We just sit back and do nothing. No, because God's done it all, I can't help but want to do everything for him. That's how our hearts should look. And so we should be disciplining ourselves, like that passage I read earlier from Timothy Disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Uh, just a, a thought, a quick note on spiritual disciplines. I like to talk about my small group as good examples because that's sort of where we do life. Our small group has recently, in the last year and a half, been working our way through sort of growing as disciples in Christ. And we've been cycling through three different sort of categories. One is systematic theology. One is inductive Bible study. And the third one is spiritual disciplines. And we're sort of cycling our way through them over and over again, sort of touching on all of them, helping them complement each other, that kind of thing. But I will tell you, hands down, and some of my small group members are here giving me love this morning, they'll tell you the same thing. Spiritual disciplines of those three has borne the most incredible fruit out of the three. Like, by far. And that's not to say the other two are not good and good for building foundation. But in terms of everyday delighting in the Lord and drawing us near to him, those spiritual disciplines of reading the word, of praying, of memorizing scripture, of evangelizing, of showing acts of kindness and love and mercy and hospitality and worshiping, those, as we push each other on those things... Man, the Lord just draws our hearts towards him. It's amazing how as we pursue and and chase after those things, the Lord uses them. As we actively work in those things, the Lord uses them to draw our hearts to him. That's why you hear so much language in the New Testament. I think there's 
Uh, I got three different reference here, references here that mention that, that illustration of running the race, working hard, striving, and running the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Timothy 4, and Hebrews 12 all say that same illustration. And so I have a second question for you. I gave you the first one, right? And the first one, what is your spiritual goal? The second question is this, and this sort of makes it really uncomfortable in your conversation. What are you actively doing to strive for that goal? Right? What is your spiritual goal? But once you know what it is, then tell me what is happening in your life that you're actively doing to pursue that goal? Because there should be something. If that's your goal, there should be something. Right? What time are you spending? What distractions are you getting rid of? Man, there's so many distractions pulling on us all the time, trying to draw us away from seeing Christ as the most delightful one. What are you getting rid of so that, that this goal is front and center in your life? How are you pressing on? How are you pressing into that goal that you have? There's action, there's training, discipline that, that is required. And it requires we get rid of those distractions and have sort of that laser focus. Paul has that. He has that laser focus. You can see this as he presses on. He has this interesting language here where he says halfway through verse 13, one thing I do. There's not a whole bunch of different things that he's sort of trying to juggle or juggle all the balls. He's got this laser focus of more of Christ. One thing I do. And then he says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Think about that. He's using past, future, and present to help us understand what he's saying. In the past, I forget what lies behind, all my sins, all my struggles, or maybe the things I would normally be proud about, or whatever it might be. Those things don't mean anything. My eyes are looking forward to Christ as that goal. More of Christ is the goal, but what do I do right now? What's the actual thing I do? I discipline myself. I press on. I press on. I press on. It's, it should, should carry the idea of that daily plodding away in your Christian life. It's not some big fancy event of one time and then it's, oh, I'm good for a while. No, no, it's the daily pressing on in the midst of it. That's what Paul's calling us to. I've got that goal of Christ and every day I'm, I'm disciplining myself to get more of Christ. That's what we're being called to. It's not just sort of our spiritual life and then we've got sort of the rest of our life over here. No, all of our life is being coordinated and orchestrated in such a way that we're, we're aiming it towards more of Christ. Now, as Paul does this, as he presses on, it's important for us to understand that he has this attitude of, expect, of, ex, sorry, of dependency, is the word I was looking for. He has this attitude of dependency. As he works hard and strives for more of Jesus Christ, he knows all well that God is the one who supplies him with the strength. It's really neat how Paul sort of mentions this. It's more than once that he has this mindset in the book of Philippians. The first one, you probably know the text very well, Philippians 2, verse 12 he sort of combines how we work hard and yet we depend on Christ. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if he left the verse there, it would be a scary verse. But then he finishes it off and says, for it's God who's at work in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And you can see the combining of God is at work in you doing this amazing work. And because he does it, you should have this heart's desire to come along and cooperate with what God is sovereignly doing. That's what naturally happens in a true believer's life. The same kind of equation sort of that Paul uses there is used in our text here today. I don't know if you saw it, but he says the begin halfway through verse 12, he says, I press on. You see, there's this action. I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Exact same kind of language. Christ has made me his own. He's done all this for me, supplied me with everything I need, and because he has, my heart has this passion towards pursuing him. 
I want more of him. There's this active cooperation with a sovereign God at work in my life and your life. That's what we should be expecting to see. The tough question is, is this true of you? Is your hunger for God so great you're striving for more and more of him? Do you love him more and more? And it makes you want this single focus. Like you understand you're resonating with me as I talk about it this morning. Yes, God, that's what I want. I want more of Jesus Christ. Is that true, honestly, of your own heart? Or, listen up here, or maybe you're in this dangerous position where you like the idea of salvation because it gets you out of hell, but you don't want Jesus involved in the rest of your life. It's a dangerous line to walk. I can't answer the question for you, but I would warn you, if that's all it is for you, and Jesus Christ is not your desire, he's not your delight, he's not your king and your Lord, then you may not truly know Jesus. It's a warning for us to repent of sort of that way of thinking where we just get him to take advantage of getting out of going to hell, and then we do whatever we want. That's not Christianity. Christianity looks like Paul. It looks like people who are willing to say, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I want more of him. There's a warning in there for some of us, maybe in this room, to think we're Christians because we've said the right things, but then after that, there is no heart like this. That Paul, Our heart doesn't mirror, doesn't look like what Paul's does here. I press on, I press on, I want more, I'm striving for it. Now, some of us, maybe we know our heart wants that. You're sitting here and you're like, yeah, my heart wants more of Jesus Christ, but I'm so easily drawn away by other things, Scott. I'm not good at it. I know I, I, I think I'm a Christian because my heart wants it, but then I, every day I get so busy with other things that I forget about wanting it almost. Well, let me just share with you a, an interesting equ- equation. My, my friend in my small group shared with me, he's a math teacher, so that's why it's an equation, but it's sort of the cyclical nature of how our hearts work. And he used, uh, he, he taught me this, this verse, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, there's an interesting way that this works. It's like, as you chase after something that's your treasure, and eventually you get it, your heart's like, wow, I really like that. And it follows along, and your heart's sort of there too. And then, because your heart likes it, you chase after a little bit more, and then your heart's like, yeah, yeah, I want more of that. And it starts to compound and compound and compound, right? So this happens, I want to encourage you with this, but it happens in a negative way and a positive way in our lives. Let's give you an example of a negative one first. Let's talk, pick an easy one, we'll pick money. Money in itself is not a bad thing, but I think you can see how the illustration is going to work, right? As money becomes your treasure, maybe you're young and you're energetic and you go to work and you work hard and you make some good coin, you know what I mean? And it feels good. And then your heart's like, man, that feels good, I really like that. And because you really like, you're like, I got some other ideas. I'm going to take this money, invest it here, get into real estate, you know, and we start to go down the, go dark on it, if you know what I mean, right? It gets real quick, and then our hearts like it more and more until all of a sudden now somebody hears, tells you at church, well, what are you doing to give that money to the Lord? Don't talk to me about giving. It's my money, right? And we start to get corrupt in our hearts and greedy about it. We don't like to talk about it anymore, and it's like, leave me alone. I just want to pursue this. And it gets, you see how that cycle makes it stronger and stronger where your treasure is, your heart follows, That's not very encouraging, Scott. Okay, I know. Let's go to the other side. Actually, we should be said it's not just money. Any vice you might struggle with works the same. Don't want to just pick on one of us. All of us have different vices, and it works the same. That's how our hearts are drawn towards those things and trapped by them. And you sit here and say, man, I want more of Christ, but I get stuck in those cycles. How do I do it, Scott? Well, it's very similar, except you need to make your treasure something else. Not those things, but Jesus Christ. 
And as you pursue, bear with me here, just follow the same cycle. You pursue Jesus Christ as your treasure, and all of a sudden your heart's like, man, that was really good to sit and dwell with him this morning. I'm going to do a little more of that. And you do it again, and you're like, oh, man, I go to church on Sunday, my heart really wants to sing those songs all of a sudden because I just love him more. And it starts to compound. And the more you delight in him, the more delightful he is, and your heart chases after that. And you get to this point where you look different than the rest of the world around you all of a sudden, and your people around you are like, Scott, why would you stop? Why don't you just stop talking about everything's about Jesus Christ, everything's about God? Why are you so concerned about that? What about these other things? And you're like, you kidding me? Those things are nothing in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And you sound exactly like the Apostle Paul. That's how we get there, brothers and sisters. Daily disciplines, the daily grind. Not once a week, not on a big event. Day after day after day, pressing on, actively pressing into Jesus Christ. And those other things will all of a sudden become real small. This is it. This is how we delight in Jesus Christ. And you'll find, that's why Paul's trying to convince us of it, you'll find there is nothing more delightful. It's not just to stop doing those things, it's because Christ is so much better. We need to see this. So I want to ask you some questions, I guess, as, illust- as application at the end of this point, too, here. The first one's this, a little bit of heart searching here. You don't have to write this one down because maybe it's too personal, although you can if you know the person really well. This one's just for you. What, what, what other goals do you have in your life that are taking the place of this one goal should be? What other things are in your life that are taking the place of where Christ should be in your life? Or maybe I could say it even more bluntly. What idols do you have that are taking the place of God in your life? We all have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at on that. What are you spending your time, your energy pressing towards as this one thing? And if you're sitting here today saying, man, I like those things. I don't really know if I can give them up. Then I would just challenge you. Do you believe the word of God today? That Christ is better than all of those things, far greater. So we need to wrestle with the Lord on those things and be honest about those things as we move forward. So now we get to point number three, Paul has the right attitude. As he has this goal in mind, as he strives towards more of Jesus Christ with everything he's got, he's got the right attitude about it. It's an attitude of humility. Crazy for the apostle Paul to say, I have not arrived yet. I'm not there. I'm not perfect yet. And I know I made light of it in the beginning, but this is in the text, absolutely. We should see Paul is saying, not that I've already obtained this. And he'll say it a little bit later again. Um, He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not quite arrived yet. I'm still, because I'm not there yet, I'm pressing on. And I think this is important for us in the church to understand, especially for those of us who are mature, right? This is why Paul says it, verse 15. Look at this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Think what way? Think the way that I have not arrived yet. We don't get to think all of a sudden as Christians who are long in the tooth, let's say, who've been walking with God for a long time. We don't get off the hook where we get to say, well, I've arrived. Now, come on, you new Christians. Come on and be like me. And like, this is where you need to be. No, no, no. It shouldn't look like that at all. Paul says, those of us who are mature are like this. Man, oh, man, I want more of Jesus Christ. I want more. I'm not done yet. There's so much more of Jesus Christ to enjoy and delight in. And we look and we see others who are new Christians. Come, come follow me. Follow my example. As I chase Christ, come chase him with me together. That's what it looks like as mature Christians. That's what Paul's saying. There's this humility of, I haven't arrived all of a sudden. It's not some spiritual ladder to climb. It's, there's more of Christ to be delighted in. Come and follow me. It's so good. It's so much better than anything else. That's what we should look like. That's an attitude of humility. 
We have not arrived yet. Paul has not arrived yet, but he's pressing on. Pressing on towards more of Christ. I want to remind you, like I did at the beginning of this message, that, that God is speaking. God is speaking. And so the question really is, how are you going to respond to all of this? How are you going to respond when the, when the Lord is pressing on you, saying, am I your goal? What are you actively doing to pursue me as your goal? Are you getting arrogant about where you are as a Christian, or are you humble where you are as a Christian, knowing that you have so much more to go? I think as we, sometimes if we properly understand where we're at and as we mature in Christ, we realize, yeah, I realize I have a lot farther to go the more I get to know my own heart and my own flesh and how great and how perfect God is. But then how, how are you going to respond to all those things? As the Lord challenges you today, how will you respond? What, what one thing so far that we've gone through has the Lord sort of been pressing on on your heart, saying this, this is the one we're going to deal with. This is the one I want to challenge you on. The word will call you on a Sunday morning or when you read it on your own devotions, the word will sort of speak to you. Honestly, I believe the word will read your heart and the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you, hey, we got to do business here. Is that happening today? It's probably, it's amazing how God works. It'll happen totally different for all of us in the room and yet God, the good shepherd, works in us through this stuff. That's who our God is. That's why he's so good. What's the Lord convicting you of? What's the Lord comforting you with? The big sort of takeaway in my mind is, will you make Jesus Christ your treasure? Will you know and understand that you will not be disappointed if Christ is your goal? You won't be. I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, hear me, hear Paul say, come and follow me. I want to follow Jesus Christ. It's so much better than anything else. We should be talking like that to each other. There's so many Christians. I, 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 just, I guess I'm sort of discouraged by it, but there's so many Christians that I talk to that are way more concerned about political issues or things they're not happy with in their church or other things they want to poke at for other people, all this kind of other stuff we get focused on. When was the last time you had a conversation with another brother or sister and they're like, man, I just got to tell you how good God is this week? That's what we should be sharing with each other. We're so distracted by other things that we should be pursuit of Christ. Try it this week. You share it with somebody else, and you watch. It, you'll, you'll lift up their lift up their countenance. You'll lift up their face in joy to just brag about God. That should be, and then say, "Come and follow, come and delight in Him with me." This is what we need. So to close us off today, I, I, I want to maybe do that for you. I had an issue with my car, my van, my minivan this week where it died. The battery died. We left the lights on, and it was dead. Like, dead, dead. It needed a kickstart for sure. So you know how when you got to put the jumper cables on, and even you put the jumper cables on, let the car run, and it, nothing happens. It's still dead. You need that extra boost, that extra kickstart. You know how somebody sits in the other car and goes, <laughs> that kind of thing? That's what we need today, right? We need to, and not, not for our cars, hopefully. It's not that cold out. But what we need that in our hearts, we need to see how delightful Christ is today, sort of step on the gas of that for a minute, that our hearts would see how beautiful he is, and we know there's nothing better. So I want to finish off by giving you a list of some of the names of Christ. I want you to just sit there and just delight in who our Lord is. Let it be that kickstart, like hear me hitting the gas pedal as I name off the names of Jesus Christ. And let it speak to you and teach you and overwhelm you with how good our God is. So here we go. If you're looking for this list, happy to talk to you about it afterwards. But just a couple. This is not exhaustive by any means. Jesus Christ is known as the Almighty. 
1 Corinthians 15, 45. The almighty God. The, the one over everything. What a thought to sit and ponder for a minute. There is no one higher. He is also in the Song of Solomon 53, oh, sorry, chapter 5, called the altogether lovely one. He is beautiful. When you combine all of his might and his power and his wisdom and yet his patience and his mercy and his grace and all of these things combined and he wants to walk with you and I, he's beautiful. He's also known in Isaiah 53 as the arm of the Lord. I love that one. Like the arm of the Lord, the illustration there, like, you know, I have two arms, but I have a right arm because I'm right-handed and it is the arm of Scott. It gets things done. Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. He's the one that comes here and gets things done. He establishes salvation. He gains the victory. He is the captain of our salvation. He's the mighty arm of the Lord. He's also known in Hebrews 6 as the anchor for the soul. In the midst of the craziness of the turmoil we're in, and your life might have specific turmoil, and then there's the world going on all around us and the darkness of it and the waves are crashing sort of thing all around us. There's this anchor that we hold on to, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if we're holding on to that anchor, come what may, I'm good. Not because life's good, but because I got Christ. He's the Alpha and the Omega, Revelations 1 and 21. John 6, 32 says he's the bread of life. That should connect to spiritual disciplines. Every day you need to eat. You need to eat more of him. You need to delight in him, delight in him, delight in him. He tells us himself in John 14, I am the, you guys know this, the way, the truth, and the life. The way, this is the way to walk in the world is to walk with Jesus. There's no better way. The truth, in the midst of a world that doesn't even know what truth is anymore, we hold on to the truth, Jesus Christ. And everything that he says is true is true. That's where it starts. And he's the life. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's Jesus. It was shared with me this week, just after a tiring week for me, one of my brothers shared with me, Jesus, Matthew 11, 28, come to me, right? Jesus says, come to me. I'm the life. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Pursuing Christ, that's what we find. He's also in John 15, the true vine. That true vine, that access to God. He's the vine, we're the branches. We have access to the triune God through this one, Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world, John 12, verse 3. In the midst of darkness, he is the bright light. He's the teacher, Matthew 26, 18. You want wisdom, how to act and how to walk in this world? Chase after Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. He is our ransom, 1 Timothy 2, verse 6. Our ransom, he literally paid the price that we owe for our wickedness. He's our redeemer, He has redeemed us. We get to walk in this new life. We've been made new because of what Christ has done. Isaiah 25, he's our refuge. Again, that connects to anchor for the soul and refuge to me, that idea of like there there is this safe place in the storm and it's not in your house, it's not in your bank account, it's not in anything else. It's because you're holding on to this one because you're pursuing this great one, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, our refuge. 
Isaiah 9, you guys know these ones too. He's our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Man, those names, like they should all of them overwhelm us. Wonderful counselor. Do you need counsel this morning? Because of where you're at and how your heart's discouraged, come to Jesus. He is our mighty God. Do you need someone to be the one who fights for you, who's your strength? Find it in Jesus Christ. Everlasting Father is the everlasting rock that is and always was. It's him. You stand on that rock. The Prince of Peace is your heart full of turmoil and you are angry all the time. Hmm. Well, if Jesus is the one you're walking with, that should change. He's the Prince of Peace. 1 John 1 verse 2, he is the life. He gives us life. We breathe because he gives us the ability to breathe. He gives us life and everything to do with this life. It's all because of him. He is our Lord and our Savior, 1 Corinthians 12. Our Lord and our Savior. This is who King Jesus is, and I hope, hopefully you feel that, that revving of the engine a little bit this morning, where, where if you just see more of Christ, your heart would be convinced that it is worth it to follow him. It's worth it to pursue him. There is nothing better. Hopefully our eyes are open just a bit more to see the glory of Jesus Christ, and we would want more of him. And as we do want more of him, the rest of the things sort of get pushed to the side. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to do that very thing in our hearts in a way that no one else can. Heavenly God and Father, we do ask you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. You are the one who can give us more of a glimpse of the bright light that is you in the midst of the darkness. Lord, you are all of these things and so much more that we've gone over. We give you all the thanks. We give you all the praise for the fact that you have opened up our eyes as far as they are, that we can sit and delight in you and open and openly declare you are the great and mighty God. Lord, you have brought us this far, and we pray that you would bring us further, that our hearts would want more of you. And as we do, we would know the delight in Jesus Christ, not just fearful walking of trying not to sin, but instead we just want more of you because you are more delightful than anything else. But help us to know what it means when the scripture says you are sweeter than honey better than fine gold. We want to chase after you and want to find that you are not disappointing in any way, but instead the King of Kings who's worthy of all of our praise. Lord, as we pray and as we sing together again, I pray that our hearts would be overflowing, our cups would overflow with joy the Lord this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.